Well, hi there, everyone. Welcome back to our series as we are working our way through the book of Zechariah. Today we're going to continue looking at chapter 5. We are picking up from where we left off last week, which is Zechariah 5, verses 5 through 11. So we're going to finish up chapter 5 today. If you have your Bibles, please turn with me. Um, It's very profitable, I think, for you to have your Bibles open and to be looking at these verses as we go through them. So let's look at Zechariah chapter 5, verses 5 through 11. I will read it for us here, and then I will pray, and we'll get into the lesson. Then the angel who was speaking with me went out, and he said to me, Lift up your eyes and look. What is this which is coming out? And I said, What is it? And he said, This is a basket which is coming out. And he said, This is their eye over all the earth. And behold, a lead cover was lifted, and a woman was sitting in the basket. And he said, This is wickedness. And he pushed her into the midst of the basket, and he put the stone cover over its entrance. And I lifted up my eyes, and I saw, and behold, two women were coming out, and the wind was in their wings, and they each had two wings as wings of a stork. And they lifted up the basket between the earth and between heaven. And I said to the angel who was speaking with me, where are they taking the basket? And he said to me, to build for it a house in the land of Shinar. And it will be established, and it will be set there upon its place. Let's pray quick before we get into the lesson. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your word. Uh, We pray that you would accomplish what you want to do as we study it today. We pray that you would open our eyes to behold wondrous things from your instruction. Lord Jesus, give us eyes to see and help us to understand what you have to say to us in this text. In the holy and precious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, if you remember from last week, we were dealing with the flying scroll vision, and this week we're dealing with the women in the basket vision. Now, if these these visions and the titles of these sessions don't get your attention, I really don't know what will, right? Because we've got some some very interesting things going on, and uh, it's been really fun to, to deal with those things. Last week, just by way of review, you'll remember we dealt with the flying scroll vision. And the message of the flying scroll vision is this, that God's law will find sin. God's law will find your sin. Right? We saw the vision of the flying scroll the size of a billboard, and it was going into people's houses and going into the dark corners and the back rooms that no one else was allowed to see, and it was exposing sin. And we saw that the scroll itself represented God's law, his Ten Commandments. And it was going out, exposing sin all throughout the earth. And that's important in the context of Zechariah's message, because Zechariah is writing in a day in which Jerusalem, the temple, and Israel as a whole is being rebuilt. And the true worship of Yahweh is going to be reestablished with the rebuilding of the temple. And so if the true worship of God is going to be established, that means that God's people are going to need to be holy in order to come before him and worship him. And so sin is being purged 
throughout the land as the Israelites are reestablishing their customs in the land of Canaan. They're not their own nation, as we've said before. They're still under the kingdom of Persia, but they are allowed to rebuild the temple and to rebuild their cities, and that's what they're doing. So God is now purging them of sin by sending his law out to expose it. And now in our our passage today, the second half of of Zechariah 5, this next vision, the woman in the basket, we see a different message, although it's connected to the flying scroll. The flying scroll was saying, God will find your sin. In the vision of the woman of the basket, God is saying, sin will be judged. That's Zechariah's message here. Sin will be judged. You will not be able to escape it. Sin will have reaped upon it. The judgment, as bad as pagan nations, will receive judgment. That's Zechariah's message here. Sin will be judged. So let's look at the text here. It, It breaks down into three really nice pieces. First of all, we have the basket. Then we have the woman. And then we have the judgment. So let's look at the basket here. This is in verses uh, 5 and 6. And we see here that the angel asks Zechariah, what is it that you're seeing? And Zechariah says, well, I'm seeing a basket. And then the angel says, hey, this basket is their eye over all the earth. That's verse 6. Now, One of the things you might be wondering about, if you heard me read the text before and now as I've read the second half of verse 6 again, is if you're looking at your English Bible and you're following along, you may notice that your Bible might say something different. Um, Say, let me read verse 6 for you and then make a comment here. Verse 6, and I said, what is this? And he said, this is a basket coming out. And he said, this is their eye over all the earth. Some of you might have at the very end of verse 6, this is their iniquity over all the earth. Others of you might have, this is their appearance over all the earth, or this is their resemblance over all the earth. And you can see iniquity, eye, appearance, uh, these are all very different things. Where are uh, you getting this? (laughs) Why are they different? Why are translations different here? Well, the reason for uh, differences in translations um, is this. The Hebrew word for eye, that is your eyeball, and the Hebrew word for iniquity are almost identical in terms of how they're spelled. There's one letter difference, and the one letter that's different can oftentimes look like the other letter. So, for example, um, the Hebrew word for eye is the word ayin, and the Hebrew word for iniquity is the word owen. And in Hebrew, there's only one letter difference, and that letter looks similar between the two words. So what scholars think might have happened here is that when the the, um, text of Zechariah was being copied by scribes, a scribe early on perhaps made a mistake and thought that the word I was the word iniquity, or the word iniquity was the word I. And so it got um, uh, changed in that way, uh, accidentally. And the reason how we know this is because Um, the uh, Septuagint and the Peshitta, the Greek translation and the Syriac translation of the Old Testament, very ancient translations, all use the word iniquity here instead of I, even though 
all, all but one of our Hebrew manuscripts that we have today use the word eye, eyeball, okay? And uh, the reason why we have this issue is because scholars aren't entirely sure. Is it the word eye or is it the word iniquity that's supposed to be here? And so that's why you've got in English translations, for example, say the ESV, the NIV, and the RSV are going to use iniquity as the translation. This is their iniquity over all the earth. But then you've got other English translations like the NASB and the King James Version that use the word I. Uh, but if you look at your NASB and your King James Version, you'll notice that they choose to translate it as resemblance or appearance. And that's because the Hebrew word for eyeball can sometimes be translated metaphorically as appearance or what you see with your eyeball, okay? So long story short, there's some difficulty here as to how this should be translated, and I bring it up because I'm sure a lot of you are using different translations, and someone is going to have a question about this, so I decided to talk about it a little bit. So scholars aren't entirely sure whether it should be I or whether it should be iniquity here. But honestly, I think we can get bogged down on that issue a little bit for two reasons. One, when we talk about issues in the transmission of the text and um, discrepancies between manuscripts, sometimes we can question the doctrine of inerrancy here. And I don't want us to do that. Right? Remember, the doctrine of the inerrancy of Scripture is only about the original manuscripts, the original ones that the apostles and prophets actually wrote. Those that the apostles and prophets actually wrote are the inerrant ones. Inerrancy doesn't actually treat any notion of the transmission of the text, okay, or of the copying of the manuscripts. Anytime you've got people copying things by hand or even copying things on a computer, it's, you know, it's very easy for humans to make an accidental mistake and have a typo or spell a word incorrectly or something. That doesn't affect inerrancy, all right? That's why we have the science of textual criticism to look at all of the tens of thousands of manuscripts of the Bible that we have, and we can find those issues and then try to, to resolve them. And honestly, every single textual issue ever is nothing to do with major doctrines. They're just, you know, a, a misspelled word here or something like that. So. Don't worry about this issue of the, the inerrancy of Scripture. This doesn't contradict that at all. Um, and that's the first reason we shouldn't get bogged down on this. All right? The second reason we shouldn't get bogged down on this issue is because I don't think it makes a big deal as to understanding the meaning of this passage. Whether this should be iniquity or whether this should be I, I don't think it's a problem. Because, remember, the message of this text is that sin will be judged. And the... The vision that Zechariah is seeing here is a basket. Now, you know that a basket is something that is used to contain something else. And what is this basket containing? Well, we find that out in verse 7. We find out that this basket has a woman sitting inside of it. And the angel in verse 8 says, this woman is wickedness. This woman is sin. And there's something really important to point out about this. This woman is called wickedness. She's called sin itself. And I want you to see here that sin, in Zechariah's vision, 
is not an abstract kind of thing. Sin is not some, some thing out there or some abstract reality. Sin is personal. And in this case, sin is personalized. Sin is a person. Sin is done by people. And this helps us understand the basket issue and, and the, the eye versus iniquity thing because what we're seeing in this vision is you have a sinful person, wickedness itself, a totally depraved person who is trapped in a basket of iniquity or trapped in a basket of the appearance of iniquity. You see, this is why I say I don't think it matters so much whether you take this as appearance or I or whether you take this as iniquity in the end of verse 6, that one controversial word. Because if you take it as iniquity, then what the passage is saying is that this sinful woman is trapped in a basket of her own iniquity. If you take the, ba- the, uh, the word at the end of verse 6 as appearance or as eyeball, then what you're saying is that the woman is trapped in a basket of the appearance of iniquity, that is, what everyone sees as being iniquity, and particularly what God sees as being iniquity, her evil, um, dirty, disgusting appearance. That's what she's trapped in. So in either case, you have a wicked woman, a wicked person, trapped inside of a basket of sin. That's the message here regardless of how you take that textual issue. And that's really important, folks. That's really important theologically for a second because oftentimes we hear this phrase thrown around in evangelical Christianity, this, that God loves the sinner and hates the sin. Now, there's, there's a little bit of truth to that statement, right? And I think that it, it's almost a kind of seeker-sensitive sort of sort of statement, because what, what people who use that statement are trying to say is that, that God sort of has this benevolent love for all of his creation, and he's calling people to the gospel, and all you have to do is deal with your sin, repent of your sin, and then you can come to be with God, because God so loved the world that he sent his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. And as far as that goes, I have no problem with it. Um, God, of course, does have a, a kind of general love for all of his creation. He does love everybody to a certain extent. But we have to remember that apart from Christ, God's wrath is poured out not merely on sins, but on sinners. Hell will not be populated with sins. Hell will be populated with sinners with real people like this woman. See, we can't really say that God loves the sinner and hates the sin in its fullest sense because when people sin, God's not just mad at the sin. He is angry with the sinner himself or herself. It's not that good people are trapped in a basket of sin. It's that wicked people are trapped in the basket of their own wickedness. And we see that clear theological truth being presented here. The woman is wickedness, and she is trapped in her wickedness. And that's why sin is so heinous. 
And that's why God is not simply angry with sin, but he's angry with sinners. And we see that illustrated here in our third and final uh, section of this passage, the judgment. We see here in verse 9 that Zechariah lifted up his eyes, and behold, two women were coming out with the wind in their wings. And they had two wings as the wings of a stork, and they lifted up the basket between heaven and between earth. And I said to the angel who was speaking with me, where are they taking the basket? And he said to me, to build for it a house in the land of Shinar, and it will be established and it will be set there upon its place. This is what happens to wicked people trapped in their wickedness. They are taken to the plains of Shinar. Now, I don't know how familiar you are with uh, the, the, the place Shinar in Scripture. If you know Genesis pretty well, it should sound familiar to you because the land of Shinar, the plains of Shinar, is the place in which the Tower of Babel was built in Genesis. And you remember the, the Tower of Babel, right? The, the great tower that Noah's descendants built to try to reach up to heaven and build a name for themselves. And God came down and confused the languages of them, and he brought judgment upon them. The Tower of Babel was not a good thing, and Shinar forever was marked as a place of evil, a place of paganism. But Shinar was more than just the place where the Tower of Babel was built. Now, Shinar was the land of Babylon. Shinar is the land in which Babylon was, right? The great evil city. Babylon is, is, is seen in Scripture as being the place of paganism and of evil and of judgment. And that's because, of course, of the Babylonian exile. The Babylonians were the ones who came in and took the Israelites out of their land and brought them to the foreign land that created the whole issue of the, the questioning of God's promises of the Davidic covenant that we talked about in earlier weeks. And even throughout the rest of Scripture, particularly in Revelation, Babylon is seen as being the great evil. And so then, of course, the place where Babylon was, that is the land of Shinar, became symbolic, heavily symbolic, of a place of evil and judgment. A place where the Israelites prayed to God and said, Oh God, please judge them. It's... It, this, this kind of idea is almost akin to what's, how some people thought of, of particular places in Germany during World War II. For example, maybe the city of Berlin or Auschwitz. Places of horrendous evil throughout the land and the Nazi regime. And, and many Christians at the time were praying, I mean, oh God, please rain fire from heaven down and consume the evil people bring judgment. And so in World War II, there were certain places, certain lands, if you will, that were seen as being places where, where people called for judgment. Places of terrible evil. And that's, that's kind of akin to how the Israelites saw the plains of Shinar. It was a place where they wanted judgment to come. And... Zechariah's vision here plays on that idea by taking the wicked woman trapped in her wickedness and brings her to the land of judgment. 
And it's not like she'll be there for a short time. It, they bring her, these angels or these heavenly figures, whoever they are, they bring the woman to the land of Shinar and they build a house for her. That is, she is going to stay there. She's going to live in the land of judgment until the judgment actually comes. And so I hope you see then in this passage how closely connected it is with our passage we dealt with last week. Both of these passages in chapter 5 deal with sin. The first one, the, the vision of the flying scroll, says sin will be found out. God's law will find your sin. And now this vision of the woman in the basket teaches us that sin will be judged. Sin will be judged. The wicked person trapped in his or her wickedness will be cast into the land of Shinar, that is the land of judgment. It's pretty sobering, isn't it? And it's, I think it's at this point that I want to make a quick beeline for the cross, as Spurgeon put it. Because, folks, when we hear about judgment, when we hear about God bringing judgment upon sin and his wrath upon sinners... Even as Christians, sometimes we can get a a little bit afraid, a little bit uncomfortable. But we ought not to feel that way. Because with Christ, our payment for sin has been paid. Because when Jesus Christ went to the cross on Calvary, he went to the land of Shinar for us. He went to the place of judgment on Calvary, and he took that punishment that we deserved. He took all of our judgment for our sin, and he paid it. And he opened the basket and pulled us out and made us clean, removed our sin, and put on us white garments of righteousness so that when the Father looks at us, he doesn't see our sin, he doesn't even see us, but he sees rather Jesus Christ. He sees his Son. See, we as Christians, we don't have to fear judgment. We don't have to fear judgment. You hear that? We don't have to fear judgment because there is now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. But for those who aren't in Christ, they will be taken to the plains of Shinar. And it is there that they will face judgment. And this is a great warning. It's a warning to unbelievers in this passage. But for believers, it is a description of what Jesus did in the gospel when he went to Calvary and went to the plains of Shinar for us. Praise God that we are not under judgment or under condemnation as God's people. So let's pray and thank him for that this morning as we finish up our time together. Oh God, we thank you for your word and we thank you for the great truth that you present to us in this passage that we are wicked people. Uh, we, we're not simply good people trapped in a, in a basket of bad things or in a basket of mistakes but rather we are wicked people trapped in our own wickedness. And, and Lord, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you that Jesus took for us our judgment and paid 
the penalty for our sin in full on the cross. And he went to Shinar for us, Lord. We thank you for that. We pray that you would give us comfort today as we understand that great truth. And we pray, Lord, that you would work in the hearts of unbelievers, that they would see the, the truth of this judgment being presented in this passage and, and, and that it would drive them to believe in your Son and that they would come to faith and repentance and that Jesus would go to Shinar for them as well. We pray all of these things, Lord, in the holy and precious name of Jesus. Amen.